plenty. But of course you are. Plenty are too. Named after your father, perhaps. Hi, this is Lana Wood. I was Plenty O'Toole in Diamonds Are Forever, but nevertheless, you can see this, hear this. You can't see it. Well, maybe you can if you're really special on Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. You're listening to Rogue Agents, Episode 3. Featuring Marvel Super Special number 26 from May 1983. Featuring the comic adaptation of Octopussy. Welcome to Honor Majesty's Secret Podcast, brought to you by our fine Patreon sponsors and White Rocket Entertainment. I'm your host for this program, Jason Albrecht, a.k.a. Weasel Skull. And joining me as veteran bondophile, co-host is my brother, Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist, a.k.a. Death Pro. Hello, Jared. And you know the question. What's the most 007 Bondian thing that you've done since the last episode? Do you remember the Bond film where for about two months straight, he sat in his house and just drew pictures back in his studio and played video games and watched movies? Yeah, it's called Tomorrow Never Comes. That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well done, Pat. Well, everybody clap for Pat. That was good. That was good. Very good. Well, that's what I've been doing. So I haven't done anything terribly Bondian. I have been very rigorous with my exercise routine. I have been working out six days a week. My only rest day is Sunday. So I kind of feel like it's in Skyfall when he's getting back into shape and mm-hmm. he came back. Yeah, the closest thing I got, man. It's you run on a treadmill with the oxygen mask. Oxygen mask, the vitals. whole nine. Yeah, I got to wear the mask everywhere you go. But, yeah. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> but, yeah, that's what I've been up to, man. What about you? What's the most Bond-like thing you've done? I think you and I are on the same mission, man. We're, we're out to avoid this assassin, uh, COVID-19, and COVID ain't going to get me, brother. <laughs> Good. This episode is the third episode of our ongoing series on a channel called MI6 Rogue Agents. On Rogue Agents, Jared and I are continuing our journey, taking two friends in our lives who are recently promoted field agents after completing their trek through all 24 Eon Bond films within the 007 universe. 25 if you count the non-Eon, never say never again, and I do. These rogue agents are joining us to talk about the 007 universe, and that could mean books, it can mean music, it can mean video games. Essentially, any medium that connects to the Bond franchise that we love so much here at On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. So let's welcome our rookie agents to the show. Delvin, what Bondian thing have you done recently? Well, much like you gentlemen, I've been stuck in the house. So I don't know, work out something, something free radicals. Gotcha. (laughs) Nice, nice. I love it. Pat, I know tomorrow never comes, but uh, (laughs) what are you doing to prepare for tomorrow? 
with all that's been going on in the world today is I've been actually out there doing some heavy Q computer work. You know, the, the kind of Q. Old Q, the, the old Q. Q. Or the new Q. New Q. You know, millennial Q. That oh, like. don't get him started oh, again. Yeah. So, so you're doing, doing nothing. Nothing of any importance. <laughs> Got it. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm going out there and uh, working hard to support the people in the people Pat's in the being field. humble. Pat works in a hospital and he's out there doing the Lord's work. Good job, Pat. You going on to the front lines, Pat? Getting close to it, yes. Holy cow. Well, let's give it up for Pat, man. He's actually doing something out there and uh, while the rest of us are waiting for this thing to blow over. And find a pub and wait for this thing to blow over. <laughs> Pat's actually doing the Lord's work out there. Thanks, Pat. I admire your courage. He had lots of guts. That should be everybody, right? Well, normally, Jared, it would be everybody. But today we've got one special guest. We've got another rogue agent. He's socially isolating from us, so <laughs> for being responsible. But we have Alan Porter, author of the definitive book on 007 comics called James Bond, The History of the Illustrated 007. And he's from our sister podcast, well, the one you're listening to right now, Honor Majesty's Secret Podcast. Welcome, Alan. Thank you. It's great to be here and to be working with the rogue agents. It's fun to be with you guys again in this guise. I mean, I've been with you guys before on the other podcast, on Lombard Screen Say, but it's fun to be with you talking Bond. So technically... We're guesting on your show. Am I guesting on your show? Are you guesting on our network? I have no idea. We so can Thunderball bullcrap. I don't know. Yeah, no, we'll figure it out. We can officially thank you, Alan, for the nice compliment for our graduation. So thank you oh, for you're that, Sendin. It may have been a bit gushy, but it was heartfelt. Delvin, <laughs> <laughs> remember you called him out for you told me should be embarrassed that he gushed like that yeah. <laughs> i remember your jokes better than you do Delvin. i did forget that i forgot it too you guys said alan doesn't up. listen to the show apparently he's gone rogue yeah we don't know he could be here he could be he's everywhere so alan let's talk about you let's talk about this book you're gonna have to tell me what's in it because i don't read books <laughs> But I do enjoy the pictures. Well, it's got lots of pretty pictures. Um, it does. The book, when it originally came out, was designed to be, as you very kindly said, the definitive history of Bond in comics, covering all the Bond comics that have been issued around the world that I could find at that point. The book's actually been out for quite a while now, several years. And of course, just shortly after I finished the book, Dynamite decided that they were going to go off and do Bond comics. So the book was immediately out of date because it doesn't cover any of the Dynamite comics. But it pretty much covers everything from the first adaptation of Casino Royale newspaper strip in the 1950s right through to the Topps Goldeneye comics in 1995 with information on comics in America, England, Chile, Sweden, India, Chinese Russia, bootlegs. Chinese about, bootlegs, um, yeah. Czechoslovakia? <laughs> I actually don't think there is any from Czechoslovakia. But it covers every Bond comic that I could find that had been published around the world and includes plot summaries, information on the artists when it was published, and there's a few essays up front about the history of Bond in comics, and then some interviews at the back with various Bond comics creators. And it's lavishly illustrated, as the publisher would say. <laughs> it is indeed lavishly illustrated. And man, there is a whole bunch of stuff in here that I never knew existed. And I will keep my eyes open for. Ever since it's come out, people have been sending me stuff or making me aware of stuff that isn't in the book. So, of course, it, like I said, as soon, 
with any book, as soon as you publish it, it's immediately out of date because there are people out there who know way more than you do. So, Volume two. Volume <laughs> two right there. Yeah, we got other stuff to do first. I ah. know you do. But I will say this. I have actually read Alan's book cover to cover, and it is really great. But if you're a big Bond nut like I am, all it really is is a checklist of things you have to track down on eBay. Yes, <laughs> yeah. that's exactly yeah. what I was saying. Yes. <laughs> I started yeah, I, looking I, up that Dr. No on eBay, and I was like, oh, no, that's, that's expensive. No way. <laughs> yeah. To sell one yeah. of my kidneys to get that. Yeah, I have been accused of causing people to spend a lot of money. So I have to ask, Jared, reading it cover to cover, was that before or after you gave it away to your brother? I was uh, moving on. What's the next segment of the show? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to give Alan a chance to talk about his podcast if he would like to. So if you're listening to this on uh, Honor Majesty's Secret Podcast, you may be aware that we also do two other shows that I'm involved with. One is reviewing all the Bond movies. We've just finished Never Say Never, so now we've done the complete 25. Next up will be Casino Royale in 1967. Uh, it's taken me two years to get Van Allen Plexico to agree to watch that movie, so I'm looking forward to that one. And then once a month, for some obscure reason, I get online with Jared and we riff about Bond music and we work in through the soundtracks. Next up for us is the aforementioned Never Say Never. So, um, Ooh. Yeah, the music of that right after this, or maybe it came out right before. Anyway, in this neighborhood, general general vicinity of this one coming. (laughs) Yeah, so yeah, once a month there's a movie review, and once a month there's a show looking at Bond music called uh, Bond Music Six of the Best. What are your thoughts on the film for your eyes only? Great Bond movie or the greatest (laughs) Bond movie? Oh my god, (laughs) (laughs) the best Roger Moore movie. That's true. Thank you. I'll take that. Yes, that is true. See what happens when you let Jason go rogue. I, I never should have given him a script. Any movie that features a woman with a crossbow is good as far as I'm I know, right? Try telling yeah. it to Delvin. Oh, <laughs> here we go. Here, minding my own business. <laughs> anyway, thank you, Alan. Well, let's get to our rogue subject for this episode, which is... Oh, Marvel Super- you didn't ask you didn't ask me what Bondian thing I'd done in the last few weeks. That doesn't say two in the script, so we're not <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> well. I'm sorry, Alan. What's the most Bondian thing <laughs> you've done since we last talked? Well, funny you should ask. I was thinking about that when you guys were talking, and I reckon actually it was probably last Sunday morning when I actually had scrambled eggs, bacon, and marmalade on fresh toast, and it was like, oh, it's pretty much James Bond's breakfast, so I'm going with that. It's, that it's probably breakfast. as Bondian as I've done in the last few weeks. I agree with you, Alan. I've confessed this before, but I'll say it again. I have not read all the Ian Fleming novels, so I'm spending my time rectifying that. I just finished Dr. No. I've been reading them in order. And every time I read him and I read what he's having for breakfast, I'm like, damn, I'm hungry. (laughs) That's a a good breakfast right there. It is a good breakfast. All I had was a bowl of Cheerios. This is some BS. (laughs) 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 Bondian thing done checked. (laughs) Anyway, let's get to our rogue subject for this episode. Marvel Super Special number 26. Featuring the comic adaptation of Octopussy. The credits for this issue are provided by Mike's Amazing World of Comics. The publisher is Marvel. The cover date is 1983. The on-sale date was May 3rd, 1983. And it cost a whopping $2.50. Man, like in 83, that today's dollars, that's like $42. <laughs> <laughs> 
Inflation of the mother. But yeah, but for $42, you got 64 pages, 48 for the story of Octopussy, and then uh, 16 additional bonus pages with an article and other material. The editor was John Barraclough. The writer was Steve Moore. Penciler was Paul Neary. The inker was Paul Neary. And the letter was Annie Parkhouse, nay Hafakree. The colorist was also Paul Neary. And the cover credits, the art is Dan Guzzi. It was reprinted in 1983 in Marvel UK hardback, James Bond Annual. Fancy. Fancy dance. I've always wanted to get my hands on one of those UK annuals. Hadn't happened yet. eBay, eBay. <laughs> That's right. And the cover review will be brought to you by Jared. Thank you, Agent Jason. It's actually quite easy to miss that this is an issue of Marvel Super Special because that title is relegated to a small black and white text box. The real eye-catcher is the title Octopussy, which, interestingly enough, isn't done in the same font as the movie. On this cover, Octopussy is written in orange and red circus-style letters, with James Bond written above it and 007 written below it in blue letters. The main cover image is the Dan Guzzi poster image of Roger Moore being wrapped by an eight-armed Maude Adams. It's all on a gradient rose-colored background, and at the bottom of the cover are two inserted photos from the film. The first is Roger Moore sliding down the banister, shooting the machine gun. Awesome. Yeah! The second is a circus clown fighting with one of the knife-throwing twins. Mm-hmm. Kind of terrifying. <laughs> but, uh, aside from that, that's your cover, boys. Well, thank you, Jared. So we're going to go around the horn and get some uh, quick cover thoughts, and we'll start it off with our guest, Alan Porter. What are your thoughts on this one, Alan? I like the cover of this one. The fact that it actually uses the movie poster makes it different from a lot of the other movie adaptations that you immediately know what it is. It catches your eye. Great artwork on the poster, and I like the way they actually cut it out and used it here. Nicely balanced. The freaky clown, the expression on his face as well is uh, just... (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) Clowns are bad enough, but I'm not sure. You can see like a kid picking up off the spinner rack and being like, this is... ah." (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I think the cover works. It works really well. Jared, what would you like to add? Good note from Alan. This is really, I think, the first time they've used the movie poster art, and it's just stunning. I mean, Dan Guzzi. This is a home run painting. I think it's a painting. Pretty sure it's a painting. Again, I pointed out that the font was different, but I thought it was a standout. You know, it really pops. Octopussy kind of catches your eye. You get a couple of insert images from the film, even though one's terrifying. It, it does a real good job of sort of inviting you into this world of this new movie, which, by the way, as my older brother Jason will remember, this is the first one I saw on the big screen. So mm-hmm. special yeah. place in my heart. A really captivating cover. It does a real good job. And I will pass it to Delvin. I think I would be intrigued by this cover if I saw it. I would probably think it was something sci-fi related, particularly the woman with the eight arms. But if you're going to get this, you probably know something about James Bond or think that James Bond is cool. So I do like it for the main image. And the action scene was cool. And as mentioned before, the clown, I didn't like anything about the clown in the movie. I didn't like anything about the clown on this cover. (laughs) Can't sleep. Clowns will eat me. (laughs) I don't think I've ever heard of Marvel Super Special. So this was kind of (gasps) really interesting to me. I've never (gasps) had one before. So (gasps) yeah, I'll stop. (laughs) But yeah, definitely seeing this picture 
reminds me and takes me back to movie theaters back in the 80s. You know, every poster was a nicely drawn poster of the movie. I really liked that a lot. I didn't notice the octopusy in that different font until Jared just said that. I'm like, oh yeah, it is the circus. And then, you know, with what this movie or comic adaptation has in it, makes kind of sense now why mm-hmm. they did it that way. But yeah, definitely a really nice looking cover. The pictures, yeah, they're all right to me. It definitely tells me that it's kind of magazine kind of a thing. It's a, you know, it's the cross between comic book and magazine. Right. What, I, what the vibe I get on it. That's Marvel Super Special all day, Pat. I know you said you didn't, you didn't really know much about it. <laughs> I know, right? I love Marvel <laughs> Super Special magazine, so I have to jump in. I have tons of issues. Some of them are very affordable and great stuff, like Return of the Jedi, Last Starfighter, some Conan stuff. I mean, it's a big variety magazine. Yeah, and look then. Yeah, and some of them are real affordable on eBay, and then some of them are like very expensive. But the, the vast majority are pretty affordable. And I encourage you and any of our listeners, if you want to move beyond Bond and just check out Marvel Super Special, those are they're great entertainment. Great entertainment. That first Kiss one, I read that the uh, the band put their blood in the in, ink. In the ink, yeah. In the, yeah. That's one of the more expensive ones to find. Yes, it is. Yeah. I'd heard a Marvel Super Special, but when I was on Mike's Amazing World, I was like, oh, I'm trying to let me see which ones were out there. And I was like, oh, I had that one. Oh, I didn't know that one even existed. That's so cool. You know? <laughs> I have to look at my Jedi one then. I wonder if it is uh, if it says Marvel Super Special and I just didn't know it. Yeah, I've oh, been, it might be. I've been collecting them up over the last couple of years and I got a fair amount of them, but just not the expensive ones. <laughs> so one of the things that I thought about this cover, and I'll throw it out to you guys, is I'm not really sure that I'm mad about those two photo insets at the bottom because it covers up about a third of that amazing artwork. And I would really like to see, you know, the rest of Bond's jacket, Octopussy's leg, and then maybe right, move that right. Marvel super special down to the bottom right. This is all about Samad Adam's thigh, isn't it, Jason? If we're being honest, <laughs> yes. Well, you, you get it on the next page. On the I guess cover. that's true, but I want it on the cover. It's just like, <laughs> I mean, Dan Guzzi made this beautiful image, and a third of it's covered up. Well, maybe a quarter of it. I like your idea better, Jason. I do. I think that that first image is what would draw me to it much more than just two random stills from the movie itself. Yeah, I agree. The only other thing that I know is I love that orange background. I mean, it just makes Bond and Octopussy pop and the title letters up there just makes it really just kind of explode off the cover. I think that's really cool. Definitely. Well, let's talk about some cover ratings. And just in case we need to remind anybody of the rating system, we rate it on a score of one through seven. A seven means you loved it. It shook your martini. A six means it was excellent. Five, it was very good. Four, it was good. Three, it was just okay. Two, not so good. And one means you hated it. It stirred your martini. We'll start with Alan. Alan, what score would you give this cover? I think I'd give it a five. It really stands out from all the, if you take a look at what else was on sale that week on the comic spinner rack, and on the magazine rack, I think it really did the job. It stood out. I think it's the, one of the, the best covers for an adaptation, like we said. Then in fact, they actually uses the great art from a movie poster. I will agree with you. I think it would have been even better without the two stills on the front. So I think that's what's keeping it at the five for me. But it does the job and it does it well. All right. Very good. Thanks, Alan. Jared, what are your thoughts? What are you going to give it? I'm going to go right with Alan. I think this is a strong five. Good cover. Memorable. Not a home run, but, you know, stand up double, maybe a triple. And I will shovel it over to Delvin. I'm in agreement with the two gentlemen who went before me. I will give it a five as well. With the ideas that you mentioned, Jason, I would bump it up to a six if that cover existed. Pat. 
I'm going to go with five as well, too. I think I agreement with everybody, too. If you didn't have those stills on it, this would be a really good looking poster. And maybe just had like James Bond at the bottom, maybe going across there instead of on the top. Well, give me five, fellas. I'm at a five as well. I think that'll bring it home. And it looks like we're fives across the board. Everybody is that a different podcast? It is. It is. Everybody kicks down. <laughs> And now it's time for a short synopsis from your host. And that's me. The title is Octopussy. And this Marvel adaption of Ian Productions' 13th 007 film, Octopussy, Steve Moore and Paul Neary do a faithful comic book rendition of the movie. When a fellow double O is murdered in East Berlin, dressed as a clown and holding a counterfeit Fabergé egg, James Bond is sent to investigate. What on the surface appears to be an elaborate smuggling operation turns out to be a nefarious plot between a rogue Russian general, Pat, do us the honors. Czechoslovakia? Thank you. And an evil Indian prince. The comic lays out the story, which involves a frantic chase to the Marcus of Delhi, a violent brawl in a palace of beautiful women, a fight on top of a speeding train, Bond in an army of beautiful female circus acrobats raiding an impenetrable fortress, and a gut-churning fight on top of a flying plane. Marvel Super Special number 26 attempts to capture this film into 48 pages. Did Steve and Paul hit the mark? Let's discuss it. But first, let's get into the bric-a-brac. And gots to know, is this a first read or reread? Starting with you, Pat. Well, Jason, I'm glad you asked. It's a first read for me, Jason. It's probably about a millionth read for me, Delvin. <laughs> it's a first for me, Jared. One million and one for me. And <laughs> you just had to top me, didn't you? <laughs> I did. <laughs> Alan, first read or reread? I bet I know the answer, but let the audience know. Reread, but probably not a million, probably fifth or sixth read. Though I will say that when you invited me on this podcast and I went to get my copy, I actually realized I no longer had a copy. So I, had, oh. I know. I have no idea. What, <laughs> what, what did you do? A magic eBay fairy. So I actually I, got this one off of eBay and I want to say it was like 10 bucks. Yeah, it was about 10 bucks. Yeah, yeah it's affordable. Yeah. And by the way, the uh, the hardback English annual reprint is about 20 bucks. I just looked it up. Oh, I just oh. assumed it was sitting on your shelf with your mini no, no, bound books. <laughs> I have the annual, but this one I had to I had to get another copy. Oh. Well, let's get into some highs and lows. And we'll start with our guest, Alan. Give me a high or low. What did you like or what were you not so happy with about this adaptation? What I really liked about this adaptation was it missed out all the things that I hate about the movie. There was no Tarzan yell. There was no Barbara Woodhouse sit. There was no stupid racist jokes about keeping you in curry. There was no cliched stuff through the market there was little bits of that the gorilla suit thing was like blink and you miss it so all the things that i really hate about octopussy were not in this comics adaptation and it was so much better for it it moved a lot quicker didn't throw me out the story so i actually enjoyed the story way more here than i do actually watching the movie i gotta ask you though because it also didn't have the banister slide and that was like one of the coolest things that didn't bother you it didn't Uh, now i'm gonna have to check had it on the cover it's on the cover it's on the cover cover. is that false advertising it's false advertising they didn't have it in there that was like my favorite part when i was a kid and he's going down Uh there spraying brass i was like yes jared what are your thoughts highs or lows 
I think that's an incredible thought by Alan. As I told you guys, I think I was the first one to read it, and I told a couple of you guys, it's a fast read. Even though it's 40-something pages, it's brisk and fast. And I think Alan just really opened my eyes to the fact that this is a really entertaining version of Octopus, <laughs> minus some of the more eh things yeah. about Octopus. Yeah. I think you could probably just pop on the uh, John Barry soundtrack CD and read this thing while you're listening and have a great experience. That's an excellent point, Alan. I'm glad we had you on the show. Yeah, right, my work is done. I'm off. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> Thanks, man. Grabbing the mic. He's out. Uh, I was just going to take the low-hanging fruit, which you guys know was my nickname in college. The low-hanging fruit here is obviously the artwork. Isn't it very unique? Very cool. There's no comic I've ever seen that looks quite like it. It looks almost watercolor painted. You can yeah. tell that the penciler did his own inks, like Jason pointed out in, in the information earlier. But in a real just incredibly good and capturing motion style it's like nothing you've ever seen before very unique and very very beautiful i think what do you think of the layouts because that's another thing i noticed about it too not only were the colors and the art unique but i think that they used every space yes really well in order to get that movie into 48 pages tons of panels per page so good thing it's magazine size right Mm -hmm. even with Tons of panels per page and really, like you said, cramming the whole movie in that. Going back to what Alan said, it's a great experience. They capture the movie super well. And like I said, the visuals, I've never seen anything like it. And it's great. Paul Mary, I think he was a great choice for this because he does mainly British comics. Did a lot of work for 2000 AD and Doctor Who magazine. So he's used to working with the magazine size page. To me, that's what it felt like reading. It felt like a good British comic. It's got that style and that sensibility to it. But I must admit, for a long time, I was actually wondering who the color... I didn't actually realize he'd done the coloring himself. I was trying to do some research to find out who the colorist was, because it, it's very striking, particularly in some particular scenes. The, the coloring is really drives the story. So it's interesting that he did it himself. So Yeah, gorgeous book. Very cool. Pat, what are your thoughts? Well, I agree with uh, Alan and Jared on the two points there. I really like the way Alan said that, because when I read this... I kind of read it like I was watching the movie. So my normal ritual would be when we were doing the movies was try to watch half of it and then watch the other half the next night because I'd have to do it late. So I started reading it late last night at about one o'clock. I start reading it. So and I'm like, okay, I'm going to read up to, you know, 24 pages or whatever, half on the halfway point. I read longer than that just because I was in, you know, a certain spot. I'm like, okay, well, I just want to see where this goes. And I'm in this action beat now and I just got to keep reading and keep reading. So I went a little little bit longer than what I did and, and really enjoyed it. Again, the artwork was just amazing when they needed to have the facial pieces looked like Roger Moore. It looked like the, all the other actors that I remember from the movie mm-hmm. uh, yep. when there were more close-up pictures of them. Yeah, I noticed that as well. I thought that it was really a faithful rendering of Roger Moore's James Bond. And I was thinking way back when we did For Your Eyes Only, I was like, I don't think it was that accurate. <laughs> Of a representation. No, it wasn't. That book. No, this is more representation of them than I remember. You're right from the For Your Eyes Only one. So my question to you, Pat, was how disappointed were you when you got to the point with the Russian briefing and he didn't say, Czechoslovakia? I was looking for that. <laughs> I knew you were. the downside of this time. <laughs> I like, was looking it, for I it, I couldn't too. remember. I'm like, is it in this movie that he says it? And I'm like, there's Gogol and there's Olaf. And I'm like, okay, it's coming. Where is he going to write this in here? Nope. <laughs> this right. comic is a four. Yeah. <laughs> You're a four. <laughs> no Czechoslovakia. I'm done. Delvin, what did you think, sir? High or low? 
before I lose what might be a pretty good thought when you guys are asking what the artwork was reminiscent of, I was thinking of maybe a Crusademus episode that we do on Longbox Crusade, Dark Shadows. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, it was very nice to look at. And there are a couple of splash pages in particular where the artwork just really, really popped. As far as the comic book itself, when I first started reading it, I'm like, yeah, I remember this from Octopussy. This is cool. And then it's like someone just hit the fast forward button. When you read the comic, it did, it was a brisk read and it had to be brisk because it can't carry out every intricacy that the movie can. I personally think that James Bond is a much better medium on the silver screen than it was on the comic book. But I do think that the comic book was a worthwhile venture, particularly given all the other stuff that they put in the back and everything. It was a complete James Bond experience, and that made it cool. Good point. Good point, Delvin. Thanks. Alan, back to you. Give me another high or low. I'm actually going to go low, and I'm just going to pick up on something Delvin said. The stuff in the back. Didn't read it. (laughs) I just complimented it, but I did not read it. I was like, word, 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 word. Let's be honest. Only Jason, Alan, I and read I it. read the back. <laughs> I, I, I did read the back. I read some yeah. of the bold words yeah. <laughs> that caught my eye. Like, oh, yeah, I know that word. It, yeah, it was 16 pages of PR fluff. This really didn't tell you anything about the movie, and I just thought it was badly written. And I didn't think it was worth the 16 pages of the back. I would have much preferred some good behind-the-scenes stuff or even interviews with the creative guys mm-hmm. rather than studio PR No, I'm with you. I was excited to reread this thinking, oh, I bet there's cool behind the scenes stuff. And there's not. It's just like, this Bond adventure is really cool. And you should totally go see it. And here's some pictures. (laughs) And here's this person who did this stuff. And here's this person and all the stuff they did before. And it just, it was like every cast member, every production person and a list of their previous credits. I mean... I know there was no IMDb around at the time, but it was like reading a bunch of IMDb entries. There was one thing that interests me in this is that in that particular part that caught my eye was the Living Daylights. They said they took that scenario for the opening of this. Yes. Yeah. It was I found that interesting. I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah, that's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. That they didn't use here and then they used it in Living Daylights. Mm. One thing that I thought when I read that back stuff, and I, I agree with what you folks are saying, because I figured it would be some behind the scenes of the makings of the movie Octopussy. And what it really is, is kind of like a primer for James Bond history a little bit. But I thought that might be pretty cool. You know, if I was a teenage kid picking this up and I wanted to know more about the James Bond, the legacy of the films, I thought this would be a good starting place. Yeah, I mean, you've got a good point. I just made the crack about AMDB, but we didn't have anything like that back then. So it might be a good way of actually figuring out, learning about the folks who were making the movie. I still think it could have flowed a lot better. It could have been written a lot better. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. So Delvin, what are your thoughts? I actually don't have anything else, which is funny. I know it. I thought it was just a, it was a simple enough read. It was a faithful enough adaptation. I enjoyed it for what it's worth even though I like the movie better. Now, even having said that, though, I'll be interested to read other comic book adaptations of Bond movies. And I know that's weird. I know I just said that I like the movies more, but I would love to see how maybe some of the top artists in the industry did tilting their hand at a James Bond comic book and how cool it could possibly look. And maybe seeing something like a Little Nelly on the comic book medium or something like that, or, or an Aston Martin, something like that. I think that would be cool. 
That would be kind of cool now that you mention it. Here on Rogue Agents, we can definitely do some more shows for adaptations, although there's not a ton of straight movie comic adaptations. That's surprising, particularly given the history of Bond. A part of me thinks we are so spoiled now with the technology that we have. I can go watch any Bond movie and I don't have to spend a lot of time going to do it. So why would I want to necessarily have a comic book adaptation and have to wait, say, four or five months if they broke it down like that? The answer to that question would be if it were really freaking cool. So if you had some artist, a Jim Lee or something that said, you know what, I want to do Skyfall or something like that. And, and heck, yeah, I, I'm reading I, that. Yeah, I would yeah. read that. I already know the story, but I would definitely want to see how someone like Jim Lee would portray that. Yeah, their inter- interpretation of it. Yeah, I would love to see it. I think that would be great. When did this come out? Was it before the movie or after? I just go back to, you know, around June 6th, this- the movie came out. Okay, okay. so okay, it's back out in the summer. And this came out in May? Yep. So it, it kind of goes on to what my theory and thought is, as I remember it as a kid, especially with the Indiana Jones ones, the Star Wars ones, they would come out maybe a month ahead of time, give you that primer, and you're like, oh, man, I really got to go see this movie now, you know? And then you'd go out and see the movie, and you'd get the extra more detail, like Delvin is saying. There's more I stuff think- going on. You get more action. Yeah, I mean, they used to, the comics used to come out ahead of the movies. The novelizations used to come out ahead of the movies. Yeah, it was a little bit ahead of yeah. yeah, everybody's so spoiler-reverse now that uh, they wouldn't do that. I mean, well, it was like Delvin was saying, though, too, because I was 12 when this movie came out, which would put Jared at about seven. There was no way for us to enjoy the movie again after the theater, except for this. Mm-hmm. We didn't have it on VHS. There was no DVDs. This was the way that we relived the Octopussy movie when we were kids. Uh, Jason, you said there was no what? DVDs nuts, okay? okay thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> we have company, people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going rogue. <laughs> All right, just to make this last longer, though, I got to point this out. A lot of times to get them in advance and the film hasn't actually reached its final cut. We've all seen comic books where there's yeah. things in the comics that aren't in the movies reversed. This yep. thing is like spot on. Yeah. Like, I didn't spot anything that was. Yeah, way I was off wondering that too. If there was something, yeah, maybe Alan, you could tell us. Was there something that was extra in this? Or no, this is really one of the, if not the most faithful comics adaptation, which yeah. makes me think that they stuck pretty closely to the shooting script because that's usually what folks work to. It also makes me wonder that the things that I don't like about Octopussy the movie were things that were ad libbed on set and put in later, uh, which is why they're not in the comic. Yeah, so curry, and it maybe that's why the banister scene's not in. It could be that they actually that wasn't in the in the script that they got guys. it. They got it on the cover. <laughs> so, so you're so, saying maybe Czechoslovakia was ad libbed? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh goodness! Go back to your thing about how many Bond movie comics there are. There was Doctor No, the DC Showcase, the DC Showcase. Then okay. the next one was For Your Eyes Only. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a big gap. Yeah. Then this one, License Golden to Kill. Eye? License to Kill. Well, yeah, License I do have that. License to Kill one. and Goldeneye. Goldeneye. <laughs> a third of Goldeneye. <laughs> For some people, a third of Goldeneye. Why well, so random? Uh, I, well, there's a really good book that I can recommend that if you, it actually tells the story of why the licensing was so random. Hmm. But you have to order it. But you have to order it. It's available on Amazon.com. <laughs> <laughs> For a few extra bucks, I know a guy will autograph one and send it to you. <laughs> 
Melvin, it's really down to when the licensing moving around. Jared, give us a high or low. Oh, we've kind of gone long on some of these, so I'll, I'll be brief. This is both a high and a low, so this is a, this might be a landmark moment for our podcasting. I was endlessly entertained by how endlessly entertained James Bond was by making up puns in his head while he was doing that. I know, that was something yeah. I noticed too. I, I was on like, one hand, I was like, this is so stupid. But on the other hand, I was like, I'm endlessly entertained by this. So it's almost like the writer felt like he had to put words in every panel and not just let the action flow. He kind of had to do a little exposition with some puns or something. He felt like he did. I don't think he needed to. Yeah, uh, I was like, yeah, you don't think Roger Moore had enough one-liners in the movie? <laughs> he's to make up he's got one like all the time. And I was just like, this is crazy. So I'll just leave it at that. I was, I was highly entertained, but I, it also took me out of the story at the same time. All right. Pat, last thought, high or low? Looking at the part where he turns into the clown in oh, this Oh, when Daniel one. Craig steps in? <laughs> <laughs> funny every time. <laughs> and, I, and I remember this somewhat in the movie as well, too, is that it was like a short amount of time. But on the first panel on the page, it says, you know, 3.35 is when he gets to the field and drives by. And the bomb's going to go off at 3.45, right, is what they set it off to. And so he's got like maybe about 10 minutes or so. He just got changed in the next panel. It's about, he goes, it's 341. Got to get to the, into the tent. And he's already got the clown outfit on, the, the mask and the all. <laughs> I'm like, how does he do that in like a couple minutes? We told you this on the on the episode we did. It's part yeah. of Secret Agent School. Clown speed makeup is something mm-hmm. they go through. Uh, that's something I didn't get taught yet. Because <laughs> yep. it was perfect. It was he, spot on perfect makeup. He made the class honor roll on that one. Yeah, yeah, it happens right between shooting and betting women. It's putting on clown makeup. Yeah. I, I'll even bring back the old joke. Well, 007, well, you only got a 92 on marksmanship, but your clown makeup skills, you got a Congratulations, 007. But even that picture where he comes out like that, that's Roger Moore in the clown outfit. You can definitely tell on that Great art. It's just awesome. And then the middle panel, you have the girl that was in the top hat. I can't remember what her name was. Magda. Magda. Yeah. Looks exactly like her, too. I was like, wow, that's just amazing. I wonder if they did have, like, stills that maybe they were using. I'm certain they had reference stills. They must have. Well, they did a fantastic job. Mm-hmm. But that's going to wrap up our highs and lows. Now we're going to get into our final segment before the ratings that we're going to call Jokey James. One of my friend's sisters went out. She's just dead. Well, let's let Alan kick us off. What was the funniest moment you thought in the book? I'm actually going to go back to what Jared said. It was Bond's inner monologue and the fans. <laughs> Because we never get that in the movie, and those are really great, real throwaway lines. So, yeah, I enjoyed that. Actually, I will say the thing that I really liked about this particular version of Octopussy is in this one, Roger Moore does all his own stunts. (laughs) (laughs) I like this guy. (laughs) I was looking for a picture of the butt kick. Oh, butt kick's a doom. Perhaps I can fake something with these fake ears. (laughs) But I think you got the point. Lots of points. <laughs> anyway, he's, he's, on a, he's on a roll in his own head while yeah. he's doing all these things. He's slaying folks. He's laying down one-liners. Doing it all. Jared, Jokey James, which one's your pick? Ultimately the same one as Alan, but for the sake of variety, I did laugh that not only did they remove the Tarzan, y'all, even though there's a slight reference to it. He says it works for Tarzan. And then the next panel, why doesn't it work for me? <laughs> 
And the way it's drawn, the vine's breaking, and he's just, the way he's fallen, it just made me laugh. I was just like, that's, that's so unbondian that it's funny. But I just love the way it's drawn. That's a great picture, too, because they spread out that picture through the three panels there. Yeah, the, the motion's really great, and it's just very comedic, very unbond-like, and I'll give it to Delvin. So I don't know if it's funny more than, it, it's somewhat racy, but I had a funny thought when I saw the panel when they did the scene where Bond's in the bedroom and he asks, what's that, Magda? And she says, that? Oh, that's my little octopus. I'm like, drawn differently? That would have been a completely racy <laughs> moment in, in a kid's. They really highlighted it, though. Like, so there was clarity <laughs> in what's, what they're discussing. It's like, yeah, that tattoo was about three or four inches high. You know what? Just skip me. Go, go ahead. <laughs> All right, Pat, you're up. Which one was your favorite? Going to go with the clown. Just Everybody fine. loves the clown. Everybody loves the clown. Yeah. I didn't like that. <laughs> but again, like Alan pointed out, most people don't like the clown thing. It doesn't bother me as much as a lot of Bond fans, but it's literally two pages, maybe mm-hmm. a page and a half, really. Yeah. Well, it was like most of the book. They had to speed through it. They tried to set it up as quickly as they could, and they kept it going. So you six, just had to be, six panels of clown. Yeah, you just had to be like, go with it. I thought the very last panel, I didn't catch it at first. And I noticed, oh, that's his cast going over the side of the boat so he could hook up with Octopussy. I thought that, that was pretty funny. Okay, which brings me to my final question before we wrap up for tonight. Was James Bond faking his injury so he could stay with her at the end of the movie? Or was he like, just screw it, I don't care how bad it hurts, I'm going to have me a good time? <laughs> I'm going to it up well, to this compound. I, I'm going to ask Alan's professional opinion on that. I've always been 50-50 in my head. Is he really injured or does he just not care? Yeah, is he Alan. a malinger or is he an idiot? We don't know. I, I always just thought he wasn't as injured as he was letting on. So, yeah. Just so he could know. kind of be lazy, slow Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, that's huh? that's fair. You know, in all fairness, he did save the world. So Yeah. Again. Again. <laughs> and he's going to hang out with Maud Adams, so I can't blame him. Have you ever hung out with Maude Adams, Al? <laughs> I'm not telling that story. Listen to The Octopussy. It's on Six of the Best. Go back and listen to the Six of the Best that just came out, The Octopussy one. The Octopussy one? Okay. Yeah. Before you wrap it up, you sort of mentioned it earlier, Jason. This was actually the only one that had two completely separate movie adaptations. There was actually one done in Sweden. Um, I saw that in your book, yeah. Which is not a reprint of this. It's a completely separate official adaptation so it's the only movie that ever got two official comics adaptations oh. and that one's not as good art wise it's very flat so nowhere near as good they still pretty good. cool yeah and they make a fine meatball <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was looking up on clinton roll's site to see if he's actually done a translation of this one yet and he hasn't it is on the site as one to be done so at some point i guess on the comics royale website he will do a translation of it i don't know if you guys remember that we interviewed him while back yeah he does the comics royale website where he does the translations of all the international versions painstaking translations and i gotta tell you guys you know you read about it in alan's book but there are some just bat crap insane bond comics out there where just the most bizarre things happen like you wouldn't believe like they're just making things up left and right what was that one see? we read not too long ago serpent's tooth Yes. Yes. Bond and Dinosaurs. That was weird, man. <laughs> that was funny because you were talking about it on the double O files with our buddy over there. And he didn't even know about it. He was like, you know, we need to see like Bond with dinosaurs. <laughs> and I sent him that screenshot and I was like, it's been done. <laughs> it's like, what? 
<laughs> well, they had like that whole fortress site too that just got up and walked. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's a whole other podcast. We'll come yeah. back to that one. We might do what that that could be in Rogue Agents. We don't. Yeah, know. Rogue Agents probably needs to tackle serpents too at some point. Oh man. Well, thank you, everybody. Let's get down to our overall ratings. And once again, this is how we rate it. One through seven. Seven means you loved it. Shook your martini. Six means it's excellent. Five means it's very good. Four means it's good. Three, it's just okay. Two, it's not so good. And one, you hated it. It stirred your martini. And we will start with our guest. Alan, what are you going to rate this adaptation? Can I do 6.5? No, you may not. We have a very solid... It would have been a seven other than the, the PR bump at the back between six and seven. Um, it's somewhere in there. We're going to call it somewhere. a six. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Go six if you are. If you're going to be that tough. Right. Jerry. Six is excellent. Yeah, it is. It's good. I'm, again, I'm right there with Alan. I think this is a six. Breezy read. Beautiful art. What's not the love? Just didn't add much to anything. I think if, if you added something to the story or to the lore, then it would have got you that seven. But as far as doing its job, it did its job super well, and I'm giving it a six. All right. Delvin, what do you think? I'm at a five, same as I was with the cover. I do like the idea of this. Wouldn't mind reading more. That's it. Pat? I agree with Delvin. I'm on a five as well, too. If I could bump it up a little bit to a five and a half. You can't. No. But no, I can't. Obviously, wrong. I can't. Alan. Wrong. Yeah. Um, so I'm going with the five. Is decent adaptation, and the artwork really helped sell this one. Well, I understand you and Delvin five. Uh, like I already admitted, I have a lot of nostalgia for this book, so it's going to bump me up to a six as well. So I'll land with Jared Nolan there. Very good scores for this book, especially for an adaptation. You know, mm-hmm. I don't ever expect a ton out of them. Yeah, this yeah. was really fun taking this out. This is a walk down memory lane for me. Yeah, I would definitely say it's the best of the adaptations. And I like the Free Eyes Only one, especially in its Marvel Super Special magazine format, which I own. Uh-huh. Well, let's pass it over to our network founder, Van Plexigo, to thank all the Patreon sponsors who make this show possible. And we have to pause here for just a second. We have to thank the folks who keep our programs on the air across our entire White Rocket Entertainment Network. For as little as a dollar a month, you can join their ranks. Just go to www.plexico.net, P-L-E-X-I-C-O.net. You will find their links to everything that the White Rocket Entertainment Network does, from books and comic books to podcasts about James Bond, about sports, And all the entertainment shows that we do here on the White Rocket Podcast. And all the other things that I'm involved in. And you also will find a great big link that goes to the Patreon page. And you can join it. And there are a number of benefits you get for being a member. But mainly, you know that you're keeping our show going and keeping all of our shows on the network going for the foreseeable future. So for as little as a dollar a month, though we certainly appreciate more, you can be part of the White Rocket family and know that all of us here, and I especially appreciate you very much, our current Supporters include Matthew Flowers, Carl Von Drunker, Samuel Salvatore, and Christopher Burleson, along with Phil Amthor, Ben Spooner, William Glenn Matthews, Gary Grant, Wynn Carroll, Brian Gray, Winston Boddy, Willie Carden, Tom Anderson, Susan Trawick, Logan Chilton, Stephen Thompson, Chris Usher, Steve Trawick, and Richard Stevens. We also have Clinton and Christopher Stewart, Mickey B., William Morgan, Phil Davis, Joshua Corbett, John Otsuki, Preston Settle, Daniel Odom, AU Falling Up, Alchemist Kevin Smith, Clarence 
Alford, Will Summerford, David Hegler, Johnny Caldwell, Theodore Gary, Reynolds Wolf, Joel Beckham, Valiant Hermes, Jacob and Robin Fleming, Clay Henson, Ann Kangian, Catherine England, George Gaston, John McCune, David Evers, Timothy, Steve Harlan, Dan Thompson, Wes Atkinson, Rich Reimer, Hugh Anderson, Blake Heron, Steve Houston, Cato the Barner, Danny Flack, Papa Todd, Russell Milling, Kevin Canoy, Don Zederman, Ross, Lane Middleton, Shannon Butson, Randall Walker, Shane Bailey, Mick Vigicana, Chris Thrash, Tony Perry, Alex Wynn, Josh Teal, David Simpson, Earl Ricks, Mike Finley, and C.T. Wayne. And finally... We have Jeremy Minton, Wardam Wade, Spanky, J.W. Rice, Jason Albrick, Russell Souther, Paul Bankson, Joseph Eiliff, Justin Bean, Kevin Mahan, Stephen Wyatt, Trevor Johnson, Auburn Elvis, Robert Drain, Brandon Smith, Royce Alvarez, Thomas Brinson, David Smiley, Matthew Wagstaff, Donnie Reynolds, Wade Carson, Ivor e- Evans, John Zavachin, Michael Morton, Lawrence Kane, Darren Pyle. We're almost to the end, but we appreciate all you guys. Chris Camo. Ben Amos, Ruth and Darren Sutherland, Patrick Williams, Rob Morgan, Stephen Schuster, James Taylor, John Stubbs, Kenneth Brent Rains, Nicholas Craig, Joseph Miller, Mark Squire, Chris Brent Rumble, plus our great Surfer Chickify and our anonymous and occasional and one-time donors. We appreciate all of you so much. Just go to www.plexico.net to sign up. And that's the show. As a reminder to our audience, if you'd like to be part of the show, you can send us your questions, comments, or trivia challenges to ohmspod at outlook.com or over on our Twitter page at ohmspod. If you'd like, you can even use the email. As a reminder, that's ohmspod at outlook.com to send us an audio recording of your question or comment. We might even play it on the show. And we would love to hear from you and make you part of the show. Oh, Jason, I have to break in. Mm. We have a send-in for this episode. What? Ooh. We do. Who's what? from? Rusty Agents. Ooh. Ooh. Good evening, Agents. This is Jeff from the Junior Mission Control Center, also known as Jeff and Rick Presents. I am providing this week's field report on the 1983 Marvel comic Super Special Number 26, which was a comic book adaptation of the James Bond movie Octopussy from the Junior Agents Station in the Pacific Northwest. As usual, I surprised my fellow Junior Agent Rick during the recording of our regular podcast, Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, with a pop quiz in the middle of our script. His answers are not prepared. Yes, we were prognosticating the future. Way to go us, I guess. Meanwhile, in a galaxy far, far away... Home of the Pop Quiz. That's right, Pop Quiz, (laughs) Hotshot. In 1983, Marvel Comics came out with Super Special number 26, which was a comic book adaptation of the James Bond movie Octopussy. And in case you are unfamiliar with Marvel Comics, they're the creators of some long-lived and beloved characters, such as Litterbug, Dr. Bong, (laughs) Ruby Thursday, Asbestos Lady, Bird Brain, 3D Man, Leather Boy, and Hell Cow, who is a vampire cow. So, in keeping with Marvel and the octopus theme, name for me five Marvel characters or organizations that use either the octopus or squid iconography. Tick-tock, Rick. Tick-tock. <laughs> First of all, comeuppance, how you doing? Well, I'm going to go ahead and start with... <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and start with Hydra, because that's one. Yes. Um, I will yes, go ahead and say Doc Ock. That's another one. Uh, um, that's a great one. That's a good one. Uh, let's see here. Let's also go ahead and use... Uh, uh, Carrie, if you want to help him, go ahead. Let's, but you know, tr- you know, Rick. Tick-tock. 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 Five of them, huh? 
squid, squid are octopus themed. Let's see mm-hmm. here. I would say, <laughs> boy, oh boy, oh boy. Um, I would <laughs> say also, hi, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh boy. Oh wait, wait. Hang on. Our organization. Well, I know a place. There's the uh, the island. The uh, the octopus island that uh, Magneto took over in X Men book. Does that count? <laughs> you know what? I'm willing to give that to you. We will go for the uh, possibly named octopus island Octop- from octopus an X Men book. Octopus that That's what Jay Miles called it. Octopus Heim. That counts. That will count. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we can take that. There's three. There's three. You're over There's halfway, halfway there. there. Do we know any other halfway ones? I know you're living on a prayer right now, but I really tick, am. I talk, really am. I'm living on tick, an absolute prayer. Talk. I would go ahead and say uh, Squid Boy, because Squid Boy, he was very well known in the early Silver Age comics. You can look him up. Uh, there is also, uh, there is also. Um, uh, I am going to look up Squid Boy, <laughs> and I don't think that Squid Boy is an actual character. Let's see. Is Squid Boy. An actual... You mean Sammy Parr, who is a fictional character appearing in American comic books published by by Marvel Comics. He was a 10-year-old mutant who was a student at the Xavier Institute for Higher Learning. Hey? Hey? Yes. Hey! Hey! You get Squid Boy. I get Squid Boy. That's four. That's four. There's four I need one out of more. five. I need more. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Yeah, and we also have Squid Boy here in the Franklin Richard comic books, which were by Marvel. Which were by Marvel. Mm-hmm. There you go. Squid Boy, right there. You've already used squid, you've already used a Squid Boy reference. Yeah, but that's you another Squid Boy. You don't get two of the same name. That's a different Squid Boy. This is a different Squid Boy. You know what? <laughs> okay, you know what? I'm going to give you <laughs> five out of five. Squid. They seem a little... I know. I was thinking of that. Yeah, that came out of a, out of a Franklin Richards. I remember reading that. So I'm going to give that to you. There's five out of five. I think some of it's a little bit weak, but I also would have accepted Superior Octopus. Okay. Lady Octopus. Okay, I've never heard of them. <laughs> lady Octopus uh, is a lady Dr. Octopus. Oh. She is a protege, protege of Dr. Ow. Octopus. Yep, okay. She also enough. has a force field. Yep. She was uh, never popular, but she is in the Sinister Syndicate, which is being run by uh, the Beetle. It is an all-female crew. Okay. And I would also have accepted Squid. Squid. Yes, his name is Squid. He is a person who is transform can transform himself into a superpowered squid. Well, hey, I got three that weren't on your list, so there we go. <laughs> I know. I'm very impressed by that. So congratulations. Carrie, if you could leave the room for a minute, I'm going to give your daddy his reward. Training, as always, will continue in the field until our junior agents are able to handle any situation. Thank you for accepting our reports. Until next time, Junior Agents, signing out. Oh, my goodness. Every time. Oh, man. I'm so glad Jeff decided to go rogue with us. (laughs) (laughs) I like how he pulled it out of his butt and he still got murdered. (laughs) Yeah, you knew he was getting shot one way or the other. He knew it was coming after all. I'm just glad I remembered we got to send in for this one. (laughs) A quick break in, folks. As I was working on the post-production editing of this episode, I received one extra send-in from our boy Donnie Z from over at the Double O Files. So let's listen to what Donnie Z sent us. (laughs) 
Hello Rogue Agents, this is Don Zuiderman calling in from the Netherlands and I wanted to send you an audio clip concerning Octopussy, a Marvel super special. You know the comic that was released simultaneously with the film in 1983? Now I am fully aware my audio clip is too late, my apologies, you have already recorded your show. However, I wasn't able to send my clip earlier. Three weeks ago, I saw your tweet announcing that you would be delving into the Octopussy comic. Unfortunately, I didn't have this specific comic yet. So I went on eBay immediately and I managed to find a very near mint copy that I bought from a very nice chap in the UK. It took a while for the post to deliver it, but literally today the comic arrived to my house. Now, I reached out to Jared and he said I could still send you something and he would then add it in post-production. So here it is. First, a few general impressions. I have to say the drawings or the artwork is impressive. You can easily recognize each of the original actors, Roger Moore, Maud Adams, Louis Jourdain. They're all excellent. However, the coloring feels very awkward. Maybe this is old fashioned, I don't know, but why is everybody either completely yellow or green or red or blue? Is that something they just did back then? Also, the action scenes, they are somewhat difficult to understand. Lots of violent moving lines, but it's not really clear what's going on. I do like that the original Fleming backstory of Major Dexter Smythe is still in there. I feel this legacy is important to keep intact. And also Magda. Whew, she's even sexier in this comic than in the film. But on the downside, we also get the Tarzan reference. And the gorilla suit is even in there. Why? Why? And then, if you don't know the film and you just read the comic like some people might have done back in 83, the plot is really quite difficult to follow. I mean, as a companion piece to the film and as part of Bond history, it's really nice, but strictly as a comic book, it's definitely not one of the greatest out there. I think I prefer the For Your Eyes Only comic, also by Marvel. That being said though, the plot of Octopussy to begin with is pretty much impossible to explain, so I really can't hold that too much against this comic. What I do very much appreciate is the extra article after the comic story ends, including a few very nice behind the scenes photos. My final verdict? I am kinda glad Marvel didn't continue these. They don't add too much. And this makes me appreciate Dynamite's current run of the James Bond comics even more. For me, this sadly isn't an all-time high. This is Don Zuiderman, signing out. Well, hey, thanks for that send-in, everybody. And also, if you're an iTunes listener, we'd greatly appreciate it if you left a review for the show. That will help raise the show's profile to attract more of the 007 family to this program. As a reward for leaving a review, we will read your entire review on an upcoming episode of MI6 Rogue Agents. I want to thank Jared, Pat, Delvin, and Alan for joining me on this episode. Before we sign off, let's find out where the listeners can find us on the internet. Alan, why don't you start us off? So for Bond stuff, you can get me on Twitter at Bond Lexicon and on Instagram at Tumblr at James Bond Lexicon. Well, thanks a lot, Alan. And you can find me at Weasel Skull on Twitter or at Jason Albrecht on Facebook and Instagram. Delvin. You can find me on Twitter at DEE underscore R-A-Y 1977 at... You can find me on 
the Twitter at Christatos01. Jared. You can find me on multiple social media networks. Pat can put out at best two social media networks. <laughs> One in Czechoslovakia. <laughs> all right. Anyway, you can find me at Yard Sale Artists. It's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all Yard Sale Artists. And please check out my YouTube channel. You search Yard Sale Artists, you'll find me, and I'm drawing pictures and stuff. Thank you for listening, and we hope you have enjoyed this episode of MI6 Rogue Agents. If you've enjoyed this crew and want to hear more from them, but in the realm of comic books, check out The Longbox Crusade. Pat, where can they find that? Well, Jason, I'm glad you asked. You can find that on the Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at Longbox Crusade. Otherwise, you can find us at www.longboxcrusade.com. Back to you, Jason. Thank you, Pat. And thanks to all you fellows for taking on yet another dangerous mission. Thanks to the listeners who tuned in. And if you'd like to leave a question or a comment on this or any of our other episodes, feel free to contact the show on Twitter at OHMSPod or email us at OHMSPod at Outlook.com. We hope to hear from you soon. Next episode of MI6 Rogue Agents will feature... Delvin's choice. Who knows? We're going rogue. Mm -hmm. It's up to Delvin. It's going to be a surprise. And on Her Majesty's Secret Podcast, we'll return. Go buy Alan's book, James Bond, The History of the Illustrated 007. It's got pictures and it's got words. Words and pictures. Words and pictures. Beautiful No extra charge. Well-written words. And he's British, so you know he can write. Commas used properly. Mm -hmm. Using those commas properly. Subject-verb agreement. Right. Doesn't end the sentence. Sensitive the preposition. That's exactly what I was about to say. <laughs> Active voice. <laughs> When I was with Am in Tokyo, we had an interesting experience. Outtakes. Thank you, Miss Moneypenny. That's all. That's all. Jason, what are you eating? <laughs> Blizzard. <laughs> got anything with ice? Delvin's got something with ice in it, I know. Coke Zero, that's my brand right there. How am I getting accused and I haven't clinked a single ice cube? Do you or do you not have something with ice? <laughs> That's immaterial. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever tasted marmalade now. Really? I don't know. I would bet I mean, you have. I'm sure you must Maybe have. Maybe I have. Uh, I knew a dancer named Marmalade one time. There are no reprints.
I'm going to pull you up on the no reprints thing. It was Uh-oh. reprinted. Ooh, someone Go didn't on. read Alan's book. <laughs> I did. You didn't say it was reprinted in the book. <laughs> I did. If you, in fact, if you go to the top of page 80 on the right-hand column, top line, what does it say? He's looking it up. Ooh, it's getting called out. I know what it says because I read it cover to cover. Reprinted right-hand. in 1983. Well, that's UK. That doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll try that one again. <laughs> It's oh. not in that closet behind you? No. <laughs> Open that closet. We want to see <laughs> If I ever go rob his house, I know right where to go to. <laughs> <laughs> if you ever come home and your place is robbed and it's only that closet, you'll never learn. <laughs> I know exactly. Only the, only the Bond stuff is missing. It's weird. <laughs> it's weird. I can't do this while I watch Jason eat ice cream. Don't look at the spot, Jason. Yeah. <laughs> I think that Seinfeld episode where George is eating the Sunday on TV. Oh, anyway. Yeah, yeah, at the, at the tennis court. <laughs> at the tennis match. This episode's intro music is an all-time high cover by Kyle Brook and Emma Shipman. Check out Kyle's YouTube page. He does some awesome stuff.